Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 897. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Jim Kosh. Hey, Jim, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I sure am, Mark. Here we go. Jim Kosh is the president of Automotive Communications near the Jersey Shore, a company he founded in 1999. Jim's been writing about cars since 1986 when he started with Muscle Cars, Vet, High Performance Pontiac, and High Performance Mopar magazines. He worked from in PR for BMW and Mercedes-Benz of North America. He covers a wide variety of PR and marketing materials for brands, including BMW, Subaru, Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Toyota, Lexus, Jaguar, Land Rover, and many others. His automotive journalism has appeared in the New York Times in their Auto Ego column, and his work's been published by BBC Autos, and he regularly contributes to Haggerty's website and e-news. Jim is also a member of the International Motor Press Association. So, Jim, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more about your career and a very obvious passion for automobiles? Sure. I'd like to start. Last week, uh, we lost, uh, I think, one of the you know greats in automotive uh, writing and editing, uh, Joe Oldham. Oh, yes. Uh, last week. Now, Joe gave me my start in this business. Oh, wow. It turned out I, a friend of mine in college, Glassboro State College, was Joe's next-door neighbor, or he lived on the street. And I guess six months after graduation, after I left a really crappy PR job, uh, my friend said, hey, why don't I connect you with this, uh, uh, my neighbor, Joe Oldham? He, you know, he gave me some background. Maybe he could give you some tips. And so he set up a meeting, and Joe graciously gave me his time. I went over to the city, met him. And uh, right then and there, you know, he sort of was, you know, gauging what my real interest was. I thought it was going to be automotive PR, which eventually it was. But he suggested I start in journalism. And he made a phone call to a friend of his, Cliff Gromer, who was the editor of those magazines you mentioned, and set up a meeting. And two weeks later, I was working there. Wow. Very cool. Well, definitely a loss of a great person in our industry. And in as he was a friend of yours, my condolences to you and his family for this loss. But isn't it great when people give us that first push, that first little bit of help that you never know where that's going to go? And it, it reminds all of us to do the same for young people. And that's what I love about what I'm doing here in Cars Jazz. Together, you and I, Jim, are going to inspire automotive enthusiasts and help them realize that if they want a career or life in the automotive field, it's possible. Just reach out to somebody and almost Everybody in this industry is willing to help. So thanks for mentioning that as a start. And as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote or a mantra, something that's important to you. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah, so Jim, take the wheel. 
I guess it's not so much a mantra as a philosophy, and it comes from my wife, Christine Auda, and that's the A-U-D-A in my company name, Automotive Communications. Ah, yes. <laughs> I was wondering if I was typing that wrong the first time <laughs> I typed it. <laughs> and uh, you know, she'll come up, I'm sure, in, uh, in other places in this conversation because she was uh, pivotal in my doing what I do, but she always tells me, you know, you're really good at what you do, but never take any of the work for granted, nobody is irreplaceable. And I have been blessed with some clients that I've been with for 17, 18 years since I started. And in other cases, there were changes made to clients and I was out of that work. If the work was, they were pleased with it, a new mm -hmm. regime comes in and it just is a reminder that somebody else can do your job. That is so true. And a lot of people think, oh, Nobody can replace me. And sometimes they're sadly and surprisingly mistaken when things go awry or something changes in the business. It isn't their fault at all. They just go in a new direction. So definitely something worth keeping in mind. Always have some options in your back pocket and always be looking down the road at what can come later for sure. Yep. You and I, us guys have been around for a while, know that. Well, Let's go back in time. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment when you look back in your life that you realize you were going to be a car guy? You know, there's no moment. It just seems I was born that way, I guess, because many or, or several of my early memories of cars had to be told to me by my parents or family because I was too young to remember. They would tell me, oh, I was you know, playing with this car toy or I was doing this or, or that. And I said, oh, I don't remember. So as long as I do have memories, it was playing with cars. 90% of my toys were cars. Uh, as soon as I could talk, I would point to every car and ask my father to identify it. Mm -hmm. My father was uh, not so much a car enthusiast as, you know, he, uh, he was interested in them and he could identify them. He liked to keep up with, you know, what was going on. And so, you know, one of the family things, you know, a couple of times a week, my father just liked to drive around the uh, the town. We grew up in a little city in Bayonne, uh, in New Jersey called Bayonne, very urban. And I loved it because there I was. What's that? What's that? What's that? <laughs> and that's how I learned to identify the cars. And he would maybe give me uh, little clues as to how I, to identify, you know, you know, styling cues or whatever. Right. You know, back then it was, you know, in the six, late 60s, it was much easier to tell cars apart yes uh, <laughs> yes and years apart too because i you know i think by the time i was six or seven i could tell cadillacs and chevys back to about 1955 wow <laughs> um, yeah. so no pivotal moment it just you know grew into it and it's been it's hard to even call it a hobby it's it's kind of a hobby i don't own any classic cars but it became my livelihood well, let's talk about that livelihood and take a little trip down a road here and have you share a big challenge or a big failure that you faced along the way. The reason I like this question is it teaches us things, these hardships, these troubling times we go through. So take us through one of yours. Tell us all about it. But more importantly, what did you learn from it and how did you come out on the other side? Well, I think that goes back to that philosophy I was talking to about nobody's irreplaceable. And as I mentioned, it has happened two or three times. And the first time it happened, of course, I was like, just terrified. And it, again, it was a there was a regime change at the company. And I and some other vendors were out. And I you know, had to scramble to replace that work and 
become a stronger or a better marketer or networker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is going back to about 2000, 2001. So obviously I did replace it. And, you know, it's not the, wasn't the last time, but it is a reminder, especially I work pretty much by myself. My wife uh, helps me with marketing, bookkeeping, editing, but, you know, I'm the car guy to go out and find the clients and, um, you know, with her help. But I can't overmarket because I don't contract the work out. I didn't become that kind of a business because I became, I guess, successful by giving the client myself. I see. Well, what's a good takeaway for a listener out there that maybe hasn't gone through something like this before, but it might be coming, you never know. What would you suggest to somebody so that when it does happen, uh, they're not so rocked in their world? They're a little bit prepared or maybe a lot prepared. I think the two parts to that one is just always keep in mind that you may be only as valuable as your the last piece of work you did for that client. Be mindful of what is going on in the business as a whole, uh, you know, the ups and downs, as well as what might be going on, you know, at a client company. You know, just be aware that, you know, change is always possible and that don't assume that if you are doing great work, that the next person who comes in is just going to, you know, want to keep you. They may have somebody they worked with at another company that they love to work with. Exactly. You know, all the years of my different careers, I was I had lots of vendors calling on me, trying to sell me things, selling me services and goods. And the best ones had a couple traits about them, and you touched on this. One is when they would come to see me or they would call me, the first thing they would ask, how's your family? Because they already knew about my family, they'd asked. And then they'd say, how is business? And then they would ask, what kind of challenges are you having? And then they'd stop talking. And if you had a good relationship, you'd tell them a lot of things and they'd keep a note of that. And that would give them a little touch point of how things were going with you and maybe help them understand, oh, something might be happening here. I better be prepared. So I think that's great advice for people. Always kind of have some things in your back pocket. Let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. You've moved from some different parts of the industry to other parts of the industry. So I think you've probably had a few of these. Is that right? Yeah, I. that would be a good way to describe it. I think the key moment was... If we're talking about working on my own, you know, the aha moment was actually, again, going back to my wife, then, you know, when we were dating, I was, at the time, I was working for a PR agency that I was hired, they're no longer around, I was hired for uh, the BMW North America account, and unbeknownst to me until I really took the job, the account had been in jeopardy because they predecessors in that position had really not been servicing the account correctly. Mm. But BMW gave them another chance with me, but they were in the meantime already planning their next move for PR. And so I think we only worked for them for about another, maybe less than a year. And then I became unhappy in that job. I wasn't all that happy to begin with. It was a very conservative type of atmosphere at the company. With you know, We dressed up in suits. We used to say we dressed up for each other. <laughs> uh, kind of a very tightly wound company. Yeah. 
And my wife recognized this early on, and she bought me a book called Just Do It. And it was all about finding your strength and going out on your own. And, you know, that's really what I thought I wanted to do. I wanted to be working on my own for many different uh, parts of the industry. And, you know, there was a, there's always a fear there of, you know, jumping out on your own. You know, you got to buy your own insurance and everything. And so I didn't do it at that time. But after I was in that job for three years and I was coming home and complaining about it, mm-hmm. my wife was like, you just, you have to quit that job. You have to quit that job. And I did. And it was like, it felt liberating and it felt like jumping off a cliff. Uh, I already had some work lined up. Not a whole lot, but the pivotal moment there came fairly quickly. I was doing some freelance writing for a newspaper in Jersey, Star Ledger. They're still around. It was on luxury cars, and I had to call Mercedes-Benz, and I called. I spoke to Fred Heiler in public relations. Fred remembered me because with that PR firm, we had pitched Mercedes business and did not get it. And Fred just said, you know, I told him what I was doing. He said, would you write a press kit for us? And uh, they brought me in to write the the then new E class, the um, the one with the four round head or oval headlights, oh, 1995. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that's like, well, would you like to come in a few days a week? And you know, they had this open. They didn't have an open position. It was a contract position because they didn't have the headcount. So I ended up starting, you know, two days a week, three days a week, four days a week. <laughs> sure. It grew into a full time job. And I thought, you know, I'm going to take this job because I'm enjoying it. The people are great great company. And if I decide down the road, I do want to still work on my own. I will have worked at Mercedes-Benz and gotten this unbelievable experience. And that's exactly what happened. How about a proudest career moment? I would assume you've had many of those. Is there one that stands out you'd like to share? Yeah, there's actually two. I thought about this because I've, if you've seen from my background, I kind of maintain two tracks, uh, the, the PR marketing communications writing, and the editorial writing. So on the PR side, really, it was when I finally did go out on my own. I left Mercedes in um, early 1999, and I sent out a bunch of marketing letters. And what helped there, another person to give a shout out to, uh, Greg Jarum, automotive photographer. He's worked pretty much with everybody uh, on the PR side and the um, editorial. Greg was good friends with Alex Fedoric, who was the PR guy at Mercedes, uh, at Subaru at the time. And um, after a conversation with Greg, he put in the good word for Alex. And so Alex took a, a meeting with me, and uh, I talked to him briefly, I think, at the New York Auto Show, and then went down to their headquarters in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I got home that afternoon Three thirty, four o'clock, checked email, and there was an email from Martin Peters at Porsche North America. He also wanted me to talk about doing press kits. So in this, in one day, the first two clients. Oh, nice. And big ones too. So yeah, I was, I was riding pretty high. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Oh, I love success stories like that. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and talk about your first really special car. And if you could uh, take us back to that vehicle and share a couple memories about it. Uh, the first special car was actually two cars owned at two different times. The um, After high school graduation, I had money to buy a car, and I foolishly bought a 1970 Mustang Mach 1, which is a car I wanted, but the one I bought was 
you know, I bought it almost on impulse and it was very rough. Mm-hmm. It was, if you know, you know, the term 10 foot car, 50 foot car. <laughs> yes. This was a, this was definitely a 50 foot car. It had a decent paint job, but only because the car had been repainted and there had been, you know, some accident damage prior, but the interior was a mess. And I think the impulse that got me, it was the 351 Cleveland two barrel engine. Yeah. And they had a aftermarket dual exhaust on it that sounded amazing. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so I, I bought the car, and I knew I really shouldn't have, but what was in my favor was at the time, this was 1981, Mustang values were just going up daily. And uh, I was able to drive that car through the summer, uh, had to put some work into it, and I was able to drive that car through the summer, sell it for what I paid for it, plus the money I put into it. Mm. So it cost me gas and insurance. And I repeated this same thing next the following year with a better version of the same model, 70 Mach 1, a really well-optioned car, the, the 351 Cleveland four-barrel, the shaker hood, uh, had the automatic air conditioning, the fold-down seat, and did the same thing. I thought I would try to hold on to it longer, but I really, I was in college by then, and I needed to help finance some of that myself. Mm-hmm. Same thing happened, I kept the, but this time I kept the car for uh, probably about eight or ten months, sold it, got all my money back. Nice. Well, then you rented it, basically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, right. What about seller's remorse? Is there a car you've let go that you wish you had back? Um, you know, I think about would I have wanted that car if it had been, you know, restored, whatever, and I... Maybe, but you know, I, I, I'd have to say no, only because, and we'll get to this at the end when you um, talk more about other <laughs> the, cars. The fantasy but, question. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, the new ones are so much better, and you get the look. And so, I think if I had that car, it would be more to look at it than to drive it. Yeah. I was talking with a lot of people at the SEMA show that I was at recently, and that's the same thing with a lot of old cars. There's this fantasy about old cars, but sometimes when you get in them and drive them, it's not as much fun as you remember. <laughs> or maybe exactly. maybe yeah. they're a lot slower than you remember, or they're uncomfortable, or you don't fit, things don't work right. So I understand. Absolutely. Yeah. What I liked about it was the drama. There was the car had drama to it. It had a drama to the look. It felt faster than it was. I mean, it was quick for its day, but, you know, not compared to today. But it felt, you know, there was so much, probably looseness in the car is what it was. You know? <laughs> yes, I understand. Well, let's talk about today and tomorrow. What ha- are you working on these days that has you very excited and fired up? Okay, well, I am doing on two fronts. I do, you know, the PR and marketing writing. I just finished up some... Uh, work supporting Mercedes, uh, the AMG 50th anniversary. Nice. Uh, I did a lot of research for uh, their PR department, MBUSA, and writing some documents that were used to support. They did a Petrolicious video on the one and only AMG Hammer wagon that was made. When I give you a quick background, when I worked at Mercedes-Benz USA, it was Mercedes-Benz North America at the time. Mm-hmm. Different name, you know, different name, but we never talked about AMG prior to Mercedes owning AMG. So that period where named there was AMG North America was pretty much never really discussed. Even though, as my, you know, they had me dig into it. They said, "Let's do the story on AMG North America." So I interviewed Richard Buxbaum, who was head of it, 
and um, Hartmut Fail, who now runs uh, Rentec. Mm-hmm. And I got the background on that, and it was fascinating. Parts of the story had been told, but never really all put together. And, uh, you know, this again was that like Mercedes used it internally, but learning that and putting that history together of when AMG was, they were converting cars, building cars, converting, you know, Mercedes Benz cars in Rosemont, Illinois. They built 13 hammers there mm. and they built those wide body, uh, SEC coupes. Oh, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. And on the other, uh, editorial side, I'm doing a lot of work with Haggerty. Um, they've revamped their website. Uh, ramped up the content. They've got some uh, a whole, basically, whole new editorial crew in there. I'm working with uh, Mike Austin. He's doing the web. Mm-hmm. Jeff Peak doing these e-, e news supplements. And um, you know, they're just. I think they're doing a great job. Their motto is, um, you know, cars. Should, you know, should be fun. Having fun with cars. Mm-hmm. And so they have a wide range. I can I can pitch almost any topic. And, um, I, you know, I get to write about just this wide range of vehicles and, um, that suits me because I am a, have a very curious nature recently writing about the rising, quick rising in values of used Toyota FJ cruisers, which are becoming collectible to mm-hmm. modern vehicle an SUV yeah. and, uh, <laughs> another, you know, and then also writing about America's fascination with the personal luxury coupes of the, uh, the late 60s and early 70s, you know, the Grand Prix, Monte Carlo. I mean, cars like that were selling three, 400,000 a year. Um, and today, they don't exist. Yeah. You know, it's all SUVs. Cool. Very cool. Sounds like you are having a lot of fun. Well, if you had to manifest yourself into an automobile, what kind of car would Jim be and why? <laughs> yeah, this was... One of my favorite questions because I never thought about it and I did. And then I came to, uh, you know, the, I'm sure you know the car, the, uh, I think it was 68 or 69 to 71 Mercedes 300 SCL 6.3. Ooh, yeah. And this is how it came to me. I had a memory. I, I used to, in one of the, in those magazines I worked for, I worked for a, um, guy who was kind of a, uh, rough and tumble type. He was a, street racer type guy and he i went to visit him and his wife you know for dinner after when i was working in that pr firm and we had to dress up in suits so i get to his house and he's under his car he had a hemi road runner he's working on and there i am standing in this suit you know and he's almost kind of laughing at me and he said you know you put on a really good he said you really come off well as a corporate guy and he said but I'm sure the people you work with don't know that other, you know, that side of you that I do, uh, you know, that sort of fun, little bit of mischief. Sure. It's, you know, up for, up for doing something fun in a, you know, in, in a magazine or something. And I said, you're, you're probably correct. And he says, he goes, that's, he left. He goes, that's what I like about you because you can, you can do that. You can pull that off. And that's the Mercedes, the 6.3 is that car. Right. It's so conservative and stately looking. And except for that little 6.3 badge, you would never know. <laughs> what this car is out for, you know, this car can have some fun. It can it can cause, you know, have a little mischief behind the wheel. There you go. Very nicely thought through, Jim. I appreciate <laughs> that. Well, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. I've been a big fan of Covercraft since I was in high school. Back in 1975, I bought my first Covercraft cover for my vehicle. 
and I've been buying them ever since. Covercraft has seat covers, dash covers, sunscreens, front end protection, floor mats, canine covers, things for your trucks, your power sports vehicles, everything. And right now, during the holiday season, they have a great option for you. Covercraft gift card. You can buy any of your automotive enthusiasts a Covercraft gift card of all sorts of denominations, and they can go to the Covercraft website and pick out whatever they like. Covercraft gift cards. It's a seasonal gift that's good any time of the year, and it will keep on giving day after day after day. Go to Covercraft.com and get yours today. And tell them Mark sent you. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Jim, we're back, and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, it would have helped before I bought that first 70 Mustang, but (laughs) it's uh, buy a car that, if it's an old car, buy a car that somebody has poured their heart, soul, and money into, (laughs) and now they have to sell it. Yep, yep, always, always, always. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't feel bad about the person losing the car. You're doing them a favor. Exactly. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your many successes over the years? Yeah, I this now this works for me, may not work for everybody. I know that when they teach writing uh features, it's do an outline first. Mm-hmm. I do generally I'll do an outline, but I must write the lead sentence or lead paragraph whether it's a press release or uh, a feature, an editorial feature, because to me, the lead sets the tone, theme, and the direction, and the the mood. And if I don't have that, I can't proceed. There you go. Nice tip. Now, how about a resource? There's lots of them these days. Is there one that you'd like to share? Yeah, it's called wildaboutcarsonline.com. Cool. That's a new one for me. What, What do they have there? Basically, it is the Automotive History Preservation Society. The gentleman running it, Bob, I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, Jerometa. And they collect and scan in old uh, car brochures, press releases, magazine articles. They do post on their social media today. As it happens, he posted a story, a road test from, I think, Car Life magazine about the first Cougar. And as it happens, I'm researching a story about the Cougar. So uh, there's always something there that I you know, can use. And those old magazine articles are invaluable. Absolutely. Now, if I can arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry or field, living or deceased, who would that be? Hmm. You know, I probably would want to talk to John DeLorean. That would be a good one. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What's the first question you'd ask him? I would probably, I don't know what the first question would be, but it would, I would probably want to delve into the days of Pontiac. And I just, uh, <laughs> referencing the article I just wrote about the personal luxury coupes, I think I'd be, you know, sort of fascinated about his thinking with the Grand Prix. You know, he was, there's, it's written that he was, wanted to create sort of this modern Duesenberg type of car. Mm. And uh, so he must have also had insight to the society, you know, what, what the car buyers were going to want in the seventies and this sort of neoclassic designed big coupe, which back then may have seemed a bit radical, you know, and then became the mainstream. That's fascinating to me. And I would have, you know, liked to hear it from, you know, right from the mouth of the, the guy who, you know, was behind that or pushing for it. Absolutely. I had a gentleman, an author, Barry Wills, on the show here a couple of years ago. He wrote a book, John Z, The DeLorean and Me, Tales from an Insider. You might like to get your hands on that book if you haven't read it because he was with John DeLorean from the beginning of the DeLorean Motor Company and he was the last guy to turn out the lights. He was responsible for liquidating all the product after everything went upside down, everything failed. Really, a really interesting story. So I think as a journalist and a writer, you should get your hands on that book. I'll make sure that I post it on your show notes page on your website here at Cars. Yeah. Speaking of a book, you mentioned one at the beginning. Is there another book you'd like to share with our listeners that you've really enjoyed? Yeah, I think it would be Go Like Hell by A.J. Bame. Yes. (laughs) And uh, the reason for that, it's a great read. And for those who may not know, the background of the Ferrari and Ford battle at Le Mans, The reason I love the book so much is it's a book about people, not cars, Mm -hmm. because you can read about those cars and the the technicalities of the racing, you know, in many places. Uh, He captured, you know, the essence of what was really behind it, which is people. Mm -hmm. And that to me is always interesting. That book is the second most recommended book by my guests here on Cars Yeah. AJ was a guest of mine here on Cars Yeah. You can go back and listen to his show. Really intriguing, interesting writer. The Arsenal of Democracy is another great book that he wrote that I learned a lot about how the Ford Motor Company contributed so greatly to uh, the United States during World War II as well. That's another great book he wrote. But yeah, Go Like Hell. Interesting perspective on the people side of those great days of competing with Ferrari. I'll remind our listeners that you can find all these great resources on Jim's show notes page on the Cars yeah website. Just go to CarsYeah.com, type in Jim Kosh, and Jim's last name is spelled K-O-S-C-S. Very <laughs> unique name, pronounced Kosh. All right, we're up to the checkered flag here, Jim. This last question can be fun, but it can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to buy you any cool collector car on the planet. Don't worry about the cost. What would that car be? Well, I thought about this, and that's uh, I came to that uh, we, you and I, would go down to a Ford dealer, and <laughs> you'd buy me a Mustang GT. Oh, coupe. nice. Okay, I could do that. And it's because I wouldn't say it's a collector car. Maybe in the future it will be, mm-hmm. but it's an opportunity to you know it's it's the best Mustang they've ever made, best driving, best you know performance, etc. And you've got modern amenities and safety. You can drive that car, and it will maybe become a collector car. You'll grow into it, and you will have it had it from the start. What color would you like? Well, they don't really make a blue that I like, and they stopped making that. They For a little bit, they were offering a dark green. 
So I think I would have to go to the, – the, they've got two reds. One is a bit darker, and I don't know the name of the red, but it's um, – that's the one I would probably have to go with unless they came back with uh, the, actually there's a gorgeous blue that Kia uses on some of its cars, but Ford does not. So I'd have to go with the red. I think Ford has two reds, as you mentioned, a race red and a ruby red. I think the red you're referring to is ruby. However – Well, since we're playing fantasy today, you can have any color you want. So we'll paint it whatever you'd like. So that green, the green might be nice. Okay, we'll go. We'll go with that one. Jim, you've taken us on a great ride today. I knew you would. And I really want to thank you for taking us on your automotive journey. Could you offer us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the sunset in that custom green Mustang GT coupe? I think if you're, you know, going into the auto industry, do your research, you know, just be cautious because the auto industry is cyclical and, you know, it's, it can be fun and exciting and it, it has its, um, you know, it can have uh downtime. So just know that it's, you know, if you're looking for something that never goes down, you know, you probably want to be in the, uh, be a tax accountant or <laughs> in, the, in the funeral service business, right? Oh gosh, I guess so. I guess so. Well, and after having just come back from the SEMA show here, uh, boy, get involved with SEMA and go check out what's going on in the industry there. I think you'll be uh, blown away. This year's show was uh, overwhelming, to say the least. And uh, I think they said it was attended by 180,000 people. So, wow. yeah, it's a big industry. Lots of areas of opportunity if you love the automotive field. What's the best way for our listeners to follow along with you and find out what, what you're up to? Oh, I'm on LinkedIn, and I have a website. The website is automotive.com, A-U-D-A-M-O-T-I-V-E.com. You know, LinkedIn is where I do updates. There we go. And obviously, as we mentioned earlier, that A-U-D-A from his uh, loving wife and supporter and business partner there. So uh, go to the CarShare website. I'll have a link there. You can click on it, check out what Jim's up to, and if you... Would like his services, you can contact him that way. All right, Jim, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Very good. Good talking to you, Mark. Thank you. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! 
Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!